Hey guys, welcome back to NGF News. Uh, we got our latest global developments episode today is episode 6. And so, uh, before we get started, just a reminder that, um, to follow us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, Instagram, NGF underscore news. And then uh, for TikTok and Twitter, it's NGF.news. We got three good topics today. First topic is Sweden, Finland, and a potentially growing NATO. Uh, Mexico turning into a military state. And then Powell to raise interest rates higher and faster. Yeah, so uh, why don't we take it off with Finland, Sweden, and potentially growing NATO. Um, as you all may or may not be aware, Finland, Sweden are actively trying to enter NATO, um, but they have been blocked by Turkey. This is because their Prime Minister Tayyip Erdogan states that Sweden and Finland are harboring Kurdish terrorists, and if they wish to enter NATO, they have to return the terrorists to them. So this has been going on for quite some time now, and we actually timed this perfectly because tomorrow... As of this recording, which is on March 8th, March 9th, there will be another uh, trilateral talk be between Finland, Sweden, and Turkey because their current negotiations have been put on a uh, timeout and are expected to resume tomorrow. So that's why we're discussing this now. Yeah, for sure. And um, the original bid came, uh, well, the original ask came last year from both Sweden and Finian, uh, Finland. It was May... 22nd i believe and so it was right after the invasion so they were obviously fearful at the time um of the invasion from when russia invaded ukraine so um this this is definitely um interesting for nato because uh, finland and sweden are have been most mostly neutral um especially militarily in recent years and so nato is going to expand again and so with nato most likely going to expand. There's still some roadblocks in the way with Turkey yeah. being one of them. Um, yeah, and we might. Uh, there is talks that Finland might go in alone in this because uh, Sweden and Turkey. Sorry, we've been saying Turkey, but it's Turkey. Yeah, now. Turkey. Uh, that's gonna take a little bit to adapt. But um, the talks between Sweden and Turkey have come to a dead end. Meanwhile, there might be a higher chance that um, Turkey and Hungary will accept Finland, but. The problem with this is that Finland has reaffirmed its position that it won't go in without Sweden. Um, but the Finnish government states it won't leave Sweden behind. But the public poll in Finland shows that it is in favor of entering this agreement with Tur Turkey and Hungary yeah. without Sweden. So, But strategically wise, regardless of the public opinion, it just doesn't make sense for them to pursue separate ratification. Because um, I read something on, as I was doing my research, there was something about like, Let's hypothetically say Turkey and Hungary accept Finland, right, and leave out Sweden. What's not to say that Turkey and Hungary will change the requirements to enter NATO for Sweden later on to try to re uh, remove this expansion? No, that's definitely a good uh, a good point there because um, Finland and Hungary have finally gotten over whatever their rut was, and Hungary is going to endorse their bid, and it's all just up to their parliament now and how they decide. Um, Turkey is going to also endorse Finland, but Sweden, Turkey, let's just get this out of the way. Turkey has basically said that Sweden has been supporting the, the, the PKK, which is the, uh, the Kurdish workers party, which has been deemed a terrorist group, um, in Turkey and also within Syria. And uh, Finland and Sweden didn't give them weapons to suppress the Kurds in Syria, as well as in their own country. And so they're they're a little, I wouldn't say a little, very upset with that uh, 
endorse without with them not doing that. And so Sweden and Finland's trying to get to come together to change Turkey's position. I think is going to be very difficult. Now there are people who can influence Turkey to change their decision. France, Germany, um, maybe Hungary can come in and say, "All right, you know, let's let's enough. just let them in. Enough is enough. This isn't getting anywhere. NATO needs to expand anyway because of the fear of Russian aggression." Right. Absolutely, and I and I totally agree with that. Um, it's just a game, really, for uh, Turkey is playing because this goes back to a. Um, negotiation that happened uh, about the uh, what was I think it's the F thirty five and F sixteen program. Yeah, Turkey wanted their hands on some F sixteens, like uh, it was the minimum for Turkey because Greece had received F thirty fives. So this this kind of beef with the West and Turkey started with this problem, and the U S denied it because of Turkey uh, was considering to purchase. S four hundred missile defense systems, which were Russian, which are Russian. So this, in a, in a, this to me, it just seems like a retaliation of what has happened over their, um, over their fighter jet feud, yeah. um, in my opinion. And to leave out Sweden as well in this agreement is kind of a strong strategic disadvantage because if you look on the map, right, you have the when you look at the Baltic Sea, right, you have Sweden there. Who's not to say that Russia could just go in there and yeah. just park up their boats because technically Sweden wouldn't be a part of NATO. No, but um, Finland Finland is still, you know, still touches the Baltic Sea, but Sweden, I mean, they would be they would be left out and be very Yeah, and all, be at a disadvantage. And then them. Finland also touches Russia. Like their borders right there. Yeah. And so that strategically for NATO, um, in terms of hypothetically an invasion comes in to uh NATO countries. Is is very important, and all, but it, it, in some respects too, I think also Turkey could be thinking, and Hungary, mostly Turkey, could be thinking if we push NATO closer to Russia's border, you know how how upset's Putin going to get? What's his next strategic move? Because Finland's right there, and Finland, if he goes into Finland, he could essentially force NATO to go into the war. And I think the United States is probably thinking something similar, even though they are one of the people that are bidding to uh, have Finland and Sweden come in the war. You notice the United States, Germany, and all the other countries, they're not really going up to Turkey and say, hey, like, cut it out, quit it. They're kind of just like letting them squabble. And that's probably because they have the same fear that now the border is getting really close and this could really irritate Putin. I I agree. Yes, that NATO expansion is it's going to be questionable for Russia because they're going to use that as a pretext. Like, hey, look at what they're doing. Yeah. They're mobilizing on their end, and it's going to harm our national security. So, in order to create that buffer zone between NATO and ourselves, we'll keep digging into Ukraine to see if we can take over, just so we can have that uh, border, uh, so we can have the capital of Moscow farther away. Uh, from these uh, expanding NATO countries. So that's just one implication of uh, NATO expansion that yeah. you brought up. Oh, definitely. And also, Tur- Turkey is pretty close with Russia in terms of how they get a lot of their weapons. Um, they smuggle them through Syria. They do have um, a little bit of a war because Russia is backing Syria in um, their civil war with Assad. So, but Turkey could essentially just drop out of NATO. A couple of of years from now, I don't think it will happen. But 
Turkey um, Turkey feels like they're they're just being pushed around a lot. Yeah, they do feel like they're being pushed around a lot, but if you also look on the map and you just look at the Black Sea, right? What's not to say Russia will just approach Turkey as a strategic um, partnership and they would have pretty much most control of the Black Sea with Turkey out of the picture now. So, yeah. uh, I mean, even if, let's say, Turkey does drop out of NATO, right? What about the conflict in Georgia and Azerbaijan between those two? Because the, Turkey supports Azerbaijan while Moscow supports Georgia. Well, I mean, it also is kind of like going back to the thing you were talking about being pushed around, like the, the West supports more of Georgia while Turkey A supports Turkey, Azerbaijan. Yeah. yeah. So this is, that's NATO, basically Turkey A. And so that's what they feel. But then if yeah. they leave them, who's, who's going to guard them? Yeah. Who's going to guard them? Yeah. yeah. They're strong military. Um, I don't think they're, they're strong enough to protect themselves. Um, Not yet. Hypothetically, let's say Iran, invades that would be a tough war russia gets through europe um you know that, they, they'd they'd be pretty tough they'd have to align with nato or else they'd get um pummeled but here, here's another thing i just want to bring up is is eu and finland and sweden they're in the eu let's say you know they join nato how how can eu help by squeezing russia and squeezing turkey by allowing more members into the eu like albania um, and all the um, regions in the Balkans, and also maybe inviting Georgia and Azerbaijan when the war's over later on, and the EU can expand as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, and expand. That would basically just encircle Russia at that point. Yep. Have a full encirclement. But I just I do agree with having Finland and Sweden into NATO, but I also am fearful of what Moscow might do. What if they approach China and they're like, "Listen, like they're expanding, let's do something about it." We can't have the West overpower us. So yeah. there's also that possibility, too, of a you know, strengthened mm-hmm. Russian and Chinese but relationship see, as well. That goes back to a previous topic of the week episode that we discussed, which was the Southeast, how the United States needs to come back with um, and get better relations with Southeast Asia and, and Japan and South Korea. If we strengthen that relationship with ASEAN, Japan, and Korea, South Korea, China is going to see that and be like, on your own, dude, because we're up number two. We have our own situations over here. Yeah. And hey, here so. was I, here, here's what I was thinking, right? As I was thinking about the possibility of a strengthened Russian Chinese relationship, what if NATO would just, what if they would expand, right, to ASEAN countries? Interesting. You'd have to change the North Atlantic Treaty name because of the right reasons. Where, where in NATO does it say, like, you can't expand. Asian countries can't join. They, yeah. they would change. Yeah. You're right. It, it doesn't it doesn't say anything. And um I think the pact with Japan and South Korea would be very strong. It could assure South Korea and Japan of security not just from the United States, but from EU countries who can provide a military or sorry, not EU, NATO countries that can provide a navy, specifically being Germany. And uh, the UK, who had the biggest navies there, um, and the United States, of course. So that could be potentially huge, and Indonesia and all of them. But then that, that's another question. That, that is a far stretch, though, because yeah. you know we have Finland and Sweden struggling to join. So yeah. e- even then, w- would a expansion just begin a domino effect of everyone just trying to join in after? 
Yeah, good because then like India's gonna want a piece of the pie and Australia's gonna want in and then Brazil's gonna be like, hey, what about Argentina, us? Mexico, Canada for I mean is Canada in no. NATO? Uh yes. Yes, they are. So not Canada, but Mexico. Um and so it's interesting because then if you if you push them there, like what's China gonna feel? How's North Korea gonna feel? They're gonna feel squeezed. Uh, even Pakistan, who's you know, there's no big big you know, diplomatic, not not good diplomatic relations with the United States and NATO, but all of a sudden, you know, China can say, hey, you're getting squeezed. India's a NATO country, and then all of a sudden, that changes the entire landscape of Asia, too. But it's not a it's not a horrid idea to it's kind of offer like, it. Wouldn't it be like a domino effect just lead to deterrence because of NATO expansionism, yeah. fear of this NATO expansionism that would lead to force moscow to just sit down and just be like hey we we actually uh bolstered world ties through nato developing so what do we do now <laughs> like the whole world is united under nato what yeah. are we going to do well and that's the, the biggest problem with that and expanding is then european countries are going to have to actually start looking outwards and you know european countries don't so really like to do that they're not the best at that yeah <laughs> they don't really like to expand their horizons um, no, I mean, like, the UK is very close with um, Japan. Oh, yeah, um, that is true. And, and Germany and Japan have gotten much better relations in the recent past. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I would say it's probably not going to happen. But if, if I'm the United States and if I'm NATO, I wouldn't add them to NATO. I would create some kind of pact between those countries so then like they're not technically part of nato but they still have the but if someone does attack you like china we'll be there we'll be there yeah i do like that idea that's a fantastic idea even if china does does is you know fucks around and finds out in taiwan yeah. nato can just step in and be like listen we're not do we're not doing this again we already did this once so yeah that's okay. actually a fantastic idea if we do have that pact instead of actually being there to reduce that threat of hey they're expanding what do we do? Yeah, I think also to prevent, if we were going to get on the topic of China, to prevent them from kind of feeling the expansions in the South China Sea and getting to Taiwan, I think Japan should start, even though I know they just contributed, what did they contribute, $100, million, $100 billion dollars to their military yes. in the past year? Um, I hope, I'm hoping that goes mostly towards their Navy. So they can help out with um, Australia and the United States and UK um, and even India in the South China Sea. So um, we're getting on that topic, but let let go back to Turkey. And what what do you think could be the decision to change their mind? What what can be that? Well, I'm, as I was doing research, I know Turkey provided a list to both Finland and Sweden of 120, I think it was, Kurdish terrorists that they want um, apprehended and returned to Turkey. In their countries? Yes. Okay. And that would take time because it has to go through the court process in Finland and Sweden. So they're not going to get those 120 people. Plus, I don't know if Finland and Sweden will want to give up those 120 people because, you know, they, they live in their own, they live there. Like, they just can't just give up 120 people yeah. and not go through the court process. And it's like you're sacrificing. There's also that morality issue. Like, are are they actually just terrorists or is it just because they're Kurdish and, you know, the Turkey wants no Kurdish people in 
NATO. Yeah. That's so that's that's what I read. That's kind of the selling point for Turkey. Um, I'm not sure if maybe Finland and Sweden are. Maybe Finland and Sweden can just sit like say that they're going to do a hard, let's say, audit on these people and investigations on these people. And if they come back to be terrorists, they will hand over any of them that um, come back through now investigations as terrorists. With. I just feel like Turkey's demands is just like, hey, give me these 120 people, otherwise you're not in. That's just ridiculous. We're going to give it to Turkey, though. No, I, w- I would tell Finland and them, I said, we'll lock them up. Yeah. And then... Let us in. Oh, Turkey won't want that though. Probably yeah. they 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 specifically requested that they come back to Turkey. Okay, well, <laughs> look, I think the only way to get rid of this stalemate is to either force them to or create some kind of override to get Finland and Sweden in that can override uh, Turkey or the United States and bigger countries like Germany and France. And the UK just need to kind of put a lot of pressure economically and specifically on them to say, hey, like, you know, you don't let them in. We'll we'll cut off some, some supply here, cut off some supply there, sanction a couple of things here and there, you know, whatever, whatever you got to do. And then Turkey would just be out with NATO. They don't, they're not going to, you know? Yeah, I don't know. But I do agree with like a hard audit on um, these people that they have, that they gave their list to uh, Swin- uh, Sweden and Finland. Yeah. Let them investigate. Yeah. Because they can't. are very good. Yeah. Or Swedish, too. Yeah. So, we'll see tomorrow, then. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out what we'll Turkey out comes tomorrow, out. What, what they come out with tomorrow and see uh, what agreement they come. Yeah. I, if, um, my expectations for tomorrow probably would be that Finland may have the ability to enter NATO. And Sweden might still be in the talks. Yeah. This is going back to the point where they might switch up on Sweden and say, listen, we have a, we're going to have new requirements for you. Let's say, like, hypothetically, right? Yeah. I think they're going to come out with a pact that's going to say, like, hey, Finland, you can join. Um, and Sweden can join later on with the same requirements. Probably. That's that's my guess for tomorrow. I yeah. don't know. By the time we upload this, yeah. the answer will already be out there. But I'll make sure to post it yeah. on the Instagram. But... Uh, what are your for, predictions for tomorrow? For me, I think it's just going to be the same thing that happened in June. Just mm. get denied. Yeah. Probably again later. Um, not the end of the world because I mean, let's let's realistically, if Russia invades Finland, I mean, they're going to respond. Oh, they have to. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's just that's just too much. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think they're I think they're going to get denied, unfortunately, for them. So yeah. Right, well. kind of wrap, do you have anything else to say? I'm kind of all set on this. Yeah, one. I'm all set. We can move on. This was this was an interesting one. I was reading an article on the New York Times, and I was like, we should talk about this because Mexico is on the border of the United States. Uh, we have one of our largest immigration problems in history because of a lot of people leaving Mexico. Um, not just Mexico, but most for the most part, Mexico turning into a military state. Um, crazy. They have been. Investigations over the military and the government using sophisticated spyware to spy on people, just ordinary people, and people who are standing up against Mexican leaders. Um, human rights defenders and journalists are some of the people that they have uh, spied on. And, and one of the journalists, they were trying to uncover soldiers that just gunned down people who were associated, and I'm putting in quotes, with the cartels. 
And with no legal basis, no court systems, no nothing, they just got them down. Yep. Um, they're also using this uh, interesting spyware called Pegasus, which is an Israeli spyware. We'll get back to that later. And so this is just interesting. This is really interesting. I mean, Mexico has been dealing with this with intensive violent crimes. There have been like around 35,000 people, victims of murder annually, according to a think tank in D.C. called the WOLA, which specializes in uh, Latin America. Um, the president has publicly announced that they want to develop the military and they want to have the military assist in policy tax tasks. And that will be and he looks to make this permanent because he yeah. believes that the local and civil institutions have been unable to stop the cartel. Oh, yeah, they're doing it in the name of the cartel. Yep. <laughs> the biggest uh, institution. It's interesting because the cartel is uh, it's always been big, since, especially since the 1980s and the big cocaine era. But this is. Considered by many analysts the biggest cocaine era. There's enough right. cocaine for twenty billion people to live on for a whole year. Like it's it's insane. Um, but yeah, the cartel has always been big and they've always been strong, especially in Mexico, Colombia, and they work together. They're not like other crime families around the world where they like they, they hate each other. They're, you know, they're all they're together. Interconnected. Yeah, Brazil. That's what makes it impossible to. Bring cut them down. down, yeah. Because if you cut down one head, there are seven other heads. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, we killed uh, Pablo Escobar and all those guys in the 90s, or arrested them in the 90s, and you know, still... cartel might even be bigger yep. now than it was then. And here we are, still in Mexico, struggling. Yeah. I mean, listen, like, local police have been paid off by the cartel. Like, there's there's multiple instances where corruption is just rampant, where the cartels just pay them, look the other way, or otherwise I'll kill you and your family. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, the cartel is just as strong as, like, the police. What are they going to do? Oh, they're so strong. Now, I'm not saying that this is the right thing, but if it were more of a temporary thing where the military steps in, kind of like, not like almost martial law, but like, in a way where it just prompts, like, civil institutions or, like, yeah. local local level police where they can do their job temporarily for a set period of time, I think that's fine. But if you want to make this permanently, I mean, this has just political and human rights implications. Oh yeah, I mean, like, especially especially with the, like just turning down civilians for no reason and mass surveillance. And, yeah, mass surveillance. I mean, like, look, I understand their their fear. Um, the, the cartel has essentially become more powerful than the Italian mafia was in the fifties and sixties in the United States, and I mean, they ran, they basically ran the country. It's conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory. I'll put that out there now. I did a lot of research on it, but they basically ran the country if if you, you know, believe in all that stuff. Cartel is running. I mean, that's just... Yeah, but we, we know that. Like, the Mexican government has no... Is problem. he, though, maybe under this new president, or... Is he, I, he, he, this new president seems pretty, like... He's got a harder stand. He's on it. He, he wants to kill them. He's he's a, or kill them off and, and destroy them. He He's really trying. And Mexico is another emerging economy in the world. Um, on some money... It, uh, beautiful tourist areas, some pretty good areas in their cities, like Mexico City. But their 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 government's always been inefficient at destroying I cartels and stopping crime. You know, and, you know what I think it is. I think it's they, they make money. Like it's just well, yeah. They, they government. There's politicians out there that make money off of the the cartel. So well, not just that. They make money off of. Building a military because then they can bring in arms and that's a you know they can get black market weapons and that yep. costs money. So yeah, yeah. This, I just want to go back to the implications part because 
Yeah, Mexico is going to militarize. Like they're going to keep building up their military. They're going to keep putting them in in positions of local police. And as you as you said before, the mass um, mass spying and politically, I mean, this violates the Mexican constitution. But this seems off the table for the president at the moment. Oh yeah, and my my thing is like. Will will this actually stop cartel activity? What's not no. to say no? What's not to say that military taking up local level like police jobs, they would just get paid off the same way to look the other way. They'll they'll report to their superiors. They didn't see anything. The the cartel makes hundreds of billions of dollars. They have the ability to build a military. Um, they're gonna destroy. And one thing I will agree is if Mexico doesn't build up a military and a giant police force, they will destroy anyone who tries to go against them. And they also instantly. need they also need some sort of oversight, not yes. from Mexico though. That's no. no. They need a strong oversight, whether that be from the United States, to look over the activities of the military to see that they're not getting corrupted and they're not taking part of different political and human rights violations. Yeah, no, that's for sure because i go back to what I was talking about earlier. This this Pegasus spyware is it's an Israeli spyware which basically can do anything. It can hack into computers and go through your camera, see your camera. It can hack into office buildings. It can happen to cars. It can hack into phones. Um, anything you anything you want that has a screen or a camera, it can get into and spy on whomever and hear whomever. It's what they do to Iran and, and Israel. And so the fact that they're using this widely means that... It's absurd. When you told me, I was actually blown away. I'm yeah. like, wow. It, it's, it's crazy because I will admit, is it a fantastic thing to have for military advantage to topple the cartel? Absolutely. But here's the thing. You know, people are getting gunned down who are maybe, may or may not be innocent. I don't know, but you know they weren't proven. No, they true. just killed them. It's true. Yeah, that does happen. Yeah, and so why that that spyware I think is going to have major implications. It's going to give them a, a lot of people a power. What's well, not to say you have all those billions of dollars buy up the software? Yeah. What's well, not to say that the cartel might get might want? Oh yeah, that's the other thing. Like you said, they they want to build up their their private army or whatever they yeah. got going on. What's well, not to say that they're they're going to look out and get their own technology? Yeah, and and they could steal it. I mean, they could. Like, they can just they can send it to a local police station, not knowing that that local police station is completely bought off by the cartel. Cartel goes over there, gimme gimme, takes it and uses it. You know that it's just not. They can't use it so widely because they don't know what's going to happen to it. Right. Um, it's got to have a lot of oversight. So here's a a solution I have: the United States Special Forces. Um, you know, deals a lot with cartels, and they always have been, um, but not as much since the war on terror has started after nine eleven. Obviously, for for twenty years, they're all the way down in the Middle East, killing terrorists, taking down organizations. Well, now, obviously, we pull out Afghanistan, Iraq. ISIS isn't as big anymore. There's a lot of special operators who are on the sidelines. And my, my father, who was in the military, there, um, he he told me one time that they they've been writing white papers to the um uh what's the joint joint special operations commands J stock um basically saying like we're bored please give us submission <laughs> like they they they're they're basically in a white paper saying all the things in the world that we can go out and help i mean they're they're so secretive 
that they can do a lot to topple this cartel. And it's not like they're operating right now in Ukraine. Yeah, they can't. They can't, exactly. So we can dedicate... Well, they can't shoot. Now, yeah. We can, right, dedicate some special forces down in Mexico, right? But if we step in too far... What what would be the boundary of too far though? That it just over it just involves the United States overall. Well, I mean, I would say too far is sending in anyone that's not special forces. Well, that's because, true. Well, no, what I what I wanted to say uh, now is that I don't think the United States should just send them in there and not tell the Mexican government. I think they should keep it secret. Little with coalition. the Mexican government, and tell them, hey, we're going to do some operations here and cut some heads off. You know, get get to the top. You ignore us. Do your thing. We're just telling you what we're gonna do. And if they say yes to that, do it. Um, I mean, there there are so many teams on um, the Navy SEALs two, four, and eight that are dedicated to like that larger kind of climate. That can do that. Green Berets can go down there and do special missions. Marine Raiders. And for those that are listening in and they're like, well, why should the U.S. step in again? This has to do with regional stability. Yeah. We have a drug problem here in the United States. It's rampant. Absolutely. And it's going to continue uh, to be rampant. How is Latin America going to develop? They have all these plans of economic uh, development and all that. How are they going to do it if violent crimes and drug is just a rampant problem in South, South America? They have all these plans that they want to engage in, but can't because of drugs. Yep. And the United States has a strategic advantage if they were to partner with Latin American countries economically. So, yeah. yes, eliminating the drug problem and sending in special forces would be a huge return on investment for the future of the United States. And you know what the great thing is about special forces? Um, they don't cost them the military too much money. Send them in on a plane. You send them in in a car. You know, helicopter. There, there. It's not like you're mobilizing a force. You're, you're taking six guys and putting them in an area, and they could do more damage than a coalition sometimes because they're cutting heads off. And now you don't know where to. You know, the other guys don't know where to go. And you know, I don't know everything about the special forces. I've always done a lot of research. It's all classified. I'm sure. I am 100 percent sure there are people down there. I don't know how many. I don't know what they're doing. I can tell you that there are now people, uh, special operations soldiers down there, but you know, I think it would be strategically advantageous for not just the United States, but for Mexico and for Latin America, and maybe if Brazil sees the effectiveness, Colombia sees the effectiveness of what we've been doing, maybe they'll offer a hand and get their whole uh, and they'll thank us later too. Yeah. They'll thank us later for it, which gives us more partners uh, in the future as well. Yeah. The biggest problem, I think, is going to be the getting around those local politicians because they're, they're, they're all paid off. Yeah. And they have to be careful as well. If the United States does step in, right, with special force, they have to be careful not to work with the military, the National Guard, the National Guard of Mexico in the military. Because that's we, we don't know what their, um, their affiliations with the cartel. Yeah, exactly. They're already out there, right? But... How do we know they're not being paid off as well? Yeah. Hundreds of billions of dollars are at stake for a lot of people. Right. And a lot of those people are bought off politicians, not just in Mexico, but Colombia, Ecuador, you know. They just have to be extremely careful. Central America, yeah. They got to be careful. And they have to collect as much intelligence as they can and do a one thing awareness where it's like this guy, this guy, this guy, this person, this person, this person, they're all 
cartel. Like they have to do it all all at once because they can't just go one person eliminate because word spreads. So oh yeah, it'll, it'll spread fast because the the cartel is not stupid. The reason why they're the longest surviving um, group mafia group is because they're not only so big, but they were so they're so smart. They knew how to they knew how to get around. They knew how to buy people out. They they know where to go. They know how to get around the military. Uh, it's the reason why. I mean, if you you live in the West Coast and on the border of Mexico, Louisiana, Texas, Arizona, California, they their drug problems are so bad. Now that I'm thinking about it, drug problems are not just regional; it's international. All the drugs oh. come from Latin America. Latin America. They go into Asia. the Balkans because <laughs> they're not in the EU. Yeah. Then from from there, they continue up into Europe. They have connections in Asia. Asia has a big drug problem as oh, well. Huge. All of these drug problems centered in Latin America. Yeah. So thing. we're doing a big favor for the rest of the world if we do step in in there. Because they also buy a lot of their, especially their opioids from like Chinese um, uh, mob groups and, and crime families, uh, Filipino crime families. I mean, they they are all tied together. And so I think if if you cut them off, you know that that. That's hundreds of billions of dollars gone um, that they can't use to move product around the world. Right. So it can be smart strategically. And I think, honestly, I mean, NATO NATO could get involved if they want to secretly, you know, not a declared NATO mission. It becomes more of a publicly aware issue because the media does have a lot of influence in what the timing of when politicians do step in. So yeah. if it does become a... Oh, a widespread thing where it's like there's a big drug problem oh my god like we need to step in but only then are people aware yeah that's an unfortunate thing with media is because they are people only care and are only are worried when the media tells them it's a problem oh yeah drug problems should should have been eradicated a long time ago oh yeah the war on drugs in the 80s started by reagan and that's probably what you guys are thinking didn't we already have a war on drugs correct and it failed. we did we lost <laughs> badly and I'll tell you why we lost. It's because we didn't start where the drugs are being made. We tried to solve the issue in America. We tried to kill the gangs here. We tried to get people off the streets and arrest people who are doing the drugs instead of trying to rehabilitate them. What we need to do is cut the supply the supply, and then we can solve what's in here. And then solve itself. Because then always be customers. Yeah. But there won't be any supply. Yeah, exactly. And the people in the United States who are selling the drugs, you know, you think of them like local police are like, oh, there's that's the kingpin. That's the kingpin, you know, MS thirteen. Far from it. Far from it. The kingpin's just... not in Venezuela. <laughs> not like he's not in the United States. He's just coming off somebody else. They're yeah. just vehicles. They're just a part of like a web. Yeah. yeah. That gang member has a connection to someone, which also has a connection to someone. And also that's another connection to someone. Yeah. So if they stop the locals, the, the local drug dealers, there's seven other drug dealers around that web where they arrested that one guy. Yeah. So, No, it, it's crazy. It's, and you know what the craziest part for me was? Pablo Escobar, had, when he was arrested, had $80 billion of net worth. $80 billion. In 1990. He had $80 billion from drugs. What is that today? In terms of, inflation, you know, inflation and all that stuff. I don't, don't want to know. It's, 
Vikings probably. I don't want to know. Yeah, like that. That's how. That's how good they were. So I think we we, we really do need to get on this because we we had the wrong plan with, under Reagan trying to stop it here. You know, the next plan is to secretly cut it off down there. Because I don't think we can, t- we we just shouldn't make it open. Like Reagan basically told them, "Hey, we're coming for you," and they're like, "Okay, we'll we'll get oh. around, we'll get around it." Yeah. Well, we don't tell them we're coming for them, then they'll. I mean, they're gonna know, but like you know, we don't tell them we've mobilized a lot more people. It'll change a little bit, keep them on their toes. Yep. That's all I got to say for this one. Yeah, we're, we're in a little rant there, but yeah. that was that was. It's an interesting it, topic. Yeah. When you told me that we needed to do this. Yeah, I was just blown away. Like yeah. I'm like, okay, this is this is a pretty cool topic. And the more research I did, the more I just wanted to talk about this. Yeah. It's just I had no idea Mexico was cracking down that much. I thought they were, you know, whatever. Off, just, you know, whatever. Like, but yeah, I, I think the new president really, really wants to actually make a difference. But he's because they're an emerging economy. They don't want to risk that opportunity. Yeah, and they're they're going about it the wrong way. I think they need to they need to Go outside, ask for help. They do need international know. support. Yeah, they have too many problems internally. They just cannot not plug all those money, holes. not enough funding. It's already too deep. The cartel has their roots in there. Like, they, if they're, it's like they have to wipe the whole table clean. Yeah, everybody from the municipality levels, and they just gotta start fresh again. Yeah, and just you can't, do that. <laughs> you can't just it's go around it. and kill people. Yeah, unfortunately, um, but yeah. unfortunately, that was bad. Thanks. <laughs> All I'll right. So for the last uh, la- uh, latest global developments, everyone's favorite topic: Jerome Powell looking to raise interest rates higher and faster. Powell plans on raising interest rates in the U.S. Um, this comes after a stronger than expected economic data and inflation rate that did not budge much. He states interest rates continue need to be continuously higher to ease inflation. Yeah, this is interesting. Um. 517 people were added to the payrolls in January. Um, haven't gotten February data yet, or I just missed it. No, um, I, I come down mid March. I comes down mid March. Okay, um, but at the March meeting, they're talking about a basically a 50 basis points. Um, Powell has said he doesn't know exactly what they're going to just you know to actually do. Right. But risk of recessions increasing every day. There's 10.8. Million open job positions, which has lowered from 11.2. Which is part of the reason why the stronger than expected economic data. And yes, yeah. strong data is good, but not right now. No. The stronger data we have, the more inflation is going to be rampant because that means more people are going to have money in their pockets. So and they're going to start buying. We need to contract the economy in a healthy way. Sometimes it's hard to do that. But when we're constantly raising interest rates and we're still coming out with stronger economic data, that's not good. Yeah. So the... The big thing is, is like, okay, if we're adding more jobs, I mean, 1.7 million people were laid off in February, which is very high. But we also added 500,000 jobs. There's still a lot of openings. If we start filling these openings, you know, we can't keep raising rates because then all of a sudden these companies are paying millions more people. Rates are going high. Economy collapses. And then they have to sit there and how am I going to pay? Oregon, 10 yeah. million people. Okay, well, I got to lay them off. And then back at square one, 10 million people are laid off and recession starts. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where to go. I don't really know like how to go from here. No, it's tough. It's tough. And Jerome Powell was just kind of left hanging. The yeah. Senate, uh, when they had their hearing in the Senate Banking Committee, Senate Democrats were worried about the rapid rise 
and the Senate Republicans just conveniently blame Joe Biden for overstimulating the economy with uh, previous uh, checks, unemployment insurance, child tax, for all the goodies that we had during COVID. And it's like, okay, we're, we're blaming people and you're telling me I'm doing my job wrong. How do I do my, do my job right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> You're just playing a point fingers game down there in the Senate Banking Committee. And we, there's, what does Jerome Powell, like, what tools does he have left? He's going to address inflation through raising interest rates and try to fix the um, supply chain issues. These are his only two options. Yeah. And yes, with the Inflation Reduction Act, which I do want to get into, actually, because... Go for it. I hate that thing. <laughs> So with the Inflation Reduction Act that was targeted to try to lower inflation, the the things in the bills... By spending money. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Yeah. So they were going to try to reduce the deficit of over... The bill tries to reduce the deficit $300 billion. How they're going to do this is they're going to raise revenue through creating a 15% corporate minimum tax, which is going to raise them $313 billion. Prescription drug repricing reform which is going to save them another $288 billion. IRS tax enforcement, which is going to give them also another $124 billion and, carried in, and addressing the carried interest loophole for $14 billion. So all that, the over 10 years, the government expects to raise $739 billion. But they were $3 trillion of debt. <laughs> 30-something, 31 Well, $3 trillion compared to what we're making. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, but, here's the fun part, right? Yeah. Total investments in energy and security, $369 billion. So not only do they have a deficit reduction, so they're intaking $300 billion. Of that, we only get $369 billion to subsidize energy, which is one of the main drivers of inflation right now. Yeah. So, what? what? Like, um, you, I don't know. They can, I mean, if we want to solve... The inflation crisis right now. Um, we have to, and I will keep pounding the bell till it comes out. We have to dig for oil. I'm sorry for all you climate activists out there. I'm sorry for the Biden administration. For the foreseeable future, oil is the driving factor of our prices. Absolutely. Because we have to transport things with oil. We have to make things. With oil. with oil. We have to run buildings with, with oil. That is why things are so expensive because there's just not enough barrels. Now, you're going to sit there and tell me, yes, uh, no, that's not true. People are digging. Our, our companies are digging for oil and we're getting oil. Okay, but where are they digging for it? Not there. We're paying more for it. And that's why prices are higher here. So I think oil prices and their price gouging uh, a little bit. But they're not price gouging to the point where I think like we need to address it. They're they're businesses. They want to make profit. That's how they live. So they have to raise it a little bit, especially when you're getting places like from OPEC, whom who are also playing the long games. <laughs> they're like, oh, you want oil? Well, we're gonna raise our own prices. So I mean, if you want to talk about price gouging, we could talk to OPEC. Yeah. And see what they're doing to fuck us over. Exactly. And we sit on a trillion dollars worth of oil in the United States, Canada. Sits on one and a half trillion dollars worth of oil. Deal with them. We start digging our own oil. I mean, gas prices can go down under three dollars tomorrow because they'd be like, "Okay, here are our futures. Look at how much oil we have. 
you know, let's lower our prices. The more people are going to go get gas or people are going to start going out. All of a sudden, you're going to see prices go down um, for regular items. Um, you're probably not going to see grocery prices go down for a long time because there's other reasons for that. But you're going to see other commodities go down right. because they're not paying as much to have them shipped over here. Energy is going to go down. Like, oil can solve so many, so many, so many problems. And uh, first we have to do, we do have to solve the supply chain issues because, you know, we got to get oil to the people. Yep. But once we do that, we can get oil. We can reduce inflation so much. So much. Yeah. I, you literally just took the words right out of yeah. my mouth. Uh, another thing I wanted to add is for now, I, I do support, I do like the IRA because of the energy subsidies. We are taking the step in the right direction. To build renewable energy resources. Agreed. But again, we do need the oil to build yeah, those we need the green energy sources. And yes, you might also say like when a bill comes out, it does take time to implement. But what the government lacks is speed. Yes. We lack speed. The legislative, the, yeah, exactly. The legislative process is very slow. And then add the time from creating the bill to implementation. And that's how you get how the Inflation Reduction Act takes a 10-year period to implement. Yep. When we need it now by the end of this year, <laughs> they're trying to get inflation down to like three or four percent, was it? Yeah. It was like, like anywhere between four to six percent at the end of this year and the next year two to three. Two to three. And it's like, okay, well you have a ten year plan here. How are we gonna do this in by the end of this year? Exactly. And, and for me, I like foresight. So I like to I like to see a ten year plan. But the end goals are at the end of the ten year plan. We need something at the end of Two year. We need a two year plan, right? There's also there's always a short term plan and there's always a long term plan. Exactly. You want to know where you're at to the end of the year and where you're at in ten years right now. And the government is too focused on ten years from now, which I'm not saying is wrong. I strongly believe that the farther out we can look and plan, be helpful for us as well. But we still have there's not there's not been anything in solving the and raising the debt ceiling, right? Either. No. Nothing crazy at the moment. The they moment, have until yeah. summer, right, to try to figure it out. Yeah, to yeah. figure out the balances so, of the books. Yep, which they're probably just going to Print say. Money. Yeah. So. And, and <laughs> look, when this war ends in Russia, will everything or in Ukraine, sorry, will everything get easier? Absolutely. Everything is going to get a ton easier because we're not going to be sending out military weapons. The EU is not going to be occupied. We're not going to have... You know, our policy focused on it because, un unfortunately, it is the main focus of our policy for obvious reasons. Second right now. Yeah. yeah, and for obvious reasons. I mean, I can understand. We can all understand. But there are things we can do right now. You know, first thing, fixing supply chains. Second thing is making more deals. Third thing is making for oil. Um, I would say instead of trying to reduce the budget, let's use that $300 billion and just go in and fix our infrastructure and if we could fix our infrastructure we get more jobs we get more people on the market on the payrolls um those are those are little things we can do we can start adding factories back into the united states lower some taxes for businesses and to I, bring in more yes i think that's what the revenue part of the ira bill was yeah exactly. to do that over 10 years i hope at least that's what they're going to use yeah the 300 billion that they're going to rake up but it's it's a little bit of a sticky situation i just hope that if you look at inflation data, right, it's always, it, it's like just stocks, right? It goes up and down, up and down. Yeah. But there's like, they're in quadrants, right? They're like in little boxes. Yeah. So we have 
up and down in quadrant run, then it'll go up, say in that quadrant, then it'll lower again in another box, right? So inflation could just be also doing the same thing where the, the interest rates are working. It just got a little like, it, it had a little bit of an upwards trend, but the overall trend is still downwards. So I don't know if it's too early to call that we're not getting inflation down or it's just one of those things where it's just like, yeah, inflation just goes up and yeah. down, but it still has that overall downwards trend. Yeah, me personally, for the um, in terms of U.S. economic policy, I hate how we kind of hyper focus on inflation in general and just lose like raising interest rates to and lose sight of uh, so lose sight of other things like fixing supply chains and and you know getting commodity prices down, investments that we can do um, get into abroad and also at home. And stuff like that, which in the end of the day will will all have the effect of lowering inflation, raising wages. Um, like I said, I mean, like everybody, when Russia invaded Ukraine, oil went up. When we stopped digging in certain areas for those six months, prices of oil went up. It's no, and everything else went up after it. It's no coincidence that it's all tied together. They just are. And it's an unfortunate circumstance for our economy. I, I am totally agree that we need to move to climate-friendly, sustainable things because we will dry out this earth of oil. Right. That's just in, in the next 100 years that, or 200 years, you know, it'll happen. But right now, this is the foreseeable future. We need something. We need it. And if we can raise the funds, get rid of inflation, get rid of our deficit, and then we can use that money to invest, invest, invest. Nuclear, winds, solar, hydro, whatever it is. It can really, really work. Um, yep. And obviously, there's other things that we have to worry about. Bureaucracy, political parties, politics, whatever. But it's Unfortunately, uh, yeah. politicized. Yeah. To try to develop the United States. Yes, it is. Which it's, is sad. Yeah. Because there's 33 million people who live under the poverty line as of 2020. Or 2019, so I don't even know what the post-pandemic and post-recessions you know, are. It's going to keep going up. Yeah. Poverty numbers? Wait, yeah, 33. What we're going through now? If, uh, as as inflation rates continue, people just have to be careful not to use credit cards as much as well, too. Yep. Yep, because if, you, if you're not a person who is really good at you know, paying off your entire balance, you have, have a lot of... You have to be very careful uh, out there these next coming days. Yeah. I would say, you know, going out to eat. Stuff like that. Um, now we're giving advice, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's good advice. Yeah, I it's don't... important advice because yes, we believe. I don't know what the basis points is going to be. My guess is probably fifty. Yeah, but I don't know. I just I what was it last time? Twenty five? No, it was fifty. Last it time. was fifty last time. Yeah, so another fifty is high. Another fifty. Another fifty. We might see twenty five towards like, but then there's always that summer boom. Yeah, so I mean, because everyone's going out and you know, going to the beach, spending, spending consumer spending, spending, spending. Goes up. Yeah, so we'll see. Well, yeah, we'll find out uh, next week. I think so. It's either next week or two weeks from now. Yeah, whatever. It's on. It's on a Wednesday, so you know, if you're on a Wednesday and you're you're looking at economic stuff, be ready for that. Yeah. So I, that's all I got to say. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say for the interest rates? One? No. Yeah. That good topics today. We kind of ran. Yeah, we did. These are these are good. Yeah, these are good. But uh, thank you guys for listening. So uh, you know, do your own research. You know, sometimes 
sometimes we miss some things, like we always say. So do your own research, fill in some gaps, and uh, make sure to follow us on all of our social medias, and have a good one, y'all.